Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is Jackson Roberts, here to break down the last week in NFL news from around the league. Jackson, we've got a full week of football under our belts. How are we feeling? A little bit tired from being through the full slog of a football week. I got to be honest with you. I think we both talked about this. We we sort of forgot how much of an emotional strain and honestly a, a visual strain it is to sit on the couch and watch 10 hours of football, but couldn't be more happy to be doing it. 21 more weeks to go. Let's dive into it. It's it's impressive realizing like, oh no, it takes it takes a lot of work actually to watch 10 hours of football, just the visual strain of it all, like the colors that wash over you when you've got a quad box going on your monitor. It's a, it, it's, I, I'm going to be honest, it's an athletic achievement that we yeah, got. As, as great PGA golfer Kevin Kisner would say, uh, this ain't no hobby. This is for the true diehards. Absolutely. Now, we've got a full week of news. I think we've got to start. With the story that's kind of permeated throughout the news since Sunday, and for good reason. But before we get into that, we've got to first talk about our sponsors at Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all the games. Try their Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with similar chances to win that traditional daily fantasy sports sites or try their pick them games where you can wager on players chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in States where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the underdog app from your app store today. And remember use promo code outsiders now to double your first deposit up to $100. Kale, Kale, if you are a state where prop betting is not legal, I, I get with the program. What year is it now? Let's go. Listen, that legislation slowly trickling down the pipeline, but until then, Underdog Fantasy has you covered. Set up, set up Underdog Fantasy, promo code FO, profit. I, I, I don't think we can guarantee it, but it sounds like a sure recipe to me. Now let's get right into the news there. It's, it's the one story that's kind of rung out since Sunday. Dak Prescott. Not going on IR, but will undergo surgery for a broken hand. Hit his hand on Shaq Barrett, I believe, in the Sunday night football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Jerry Jones has been telling the media, uh, quote, uh, he's seen he's seen people walk out there and, quote, David Slay the Giant. So I think he's got faith in this uh, this team with Cooper Rush filling in, but Jackson, no matter where you look at this, it's it's not good. Have to agree there, Kale. Um, so first off, let's say Dak is only out three to four weeks. You know, if you go 0-4 or even 1-3 and in four weeks, that's not good. Um, when Dak goes down in 2020, he was having a historically great start to the year uh, through those first five weeks. Obviously, not a great start to this year in only one week. But in 2020, those first four games they were missing him, they go 0-4, and they get outscored 110-41. to 41. So I don't think this team is particularly excited to play without their leader again. Cooper Rush, at 63 passes in his NFL career, so not a lot of tape on him, good or bad. Um, but in my opinion, if you're standing on the sidelines of an NFL game, that means you're not getting game reps, and I don't like that a whole lot. See, I'm just very worried about this Cowboys team, that every other team in the division wins week one. I think the Commanders and Giants open some eyes a little bit. They're maybe not going to be quite the pushovers we thought they were. And, yeah, this is uh, this is kind of a desperate time for a historically desperate franchise in the Dallas Cowboys. I think the issue for me is just how much, how much win gets taken out of the sales by going from Dak to Cooper Rush. We already saw some struggles with the offensive line. Dallas allows four sacks. They really can't get anything going in the run game. But when you look at this passing attack, I mean, CeeDee Lamb finishing up going two for 11. Targeted 11 times, walks away with two receptions. 
Mike McCarthy brought it up. This is the new world that CD Lamb lives in. He's going to be getting a lot of attention. The downgrade from from Prescott to Rush here is is steep. I don't know. Rush finished up the rest of the fourth quarter. Uh, seven for 13, 64 yards, two sacks, QBR of 11.7. Do you think that the Cowboys can sustain competitiveness at all through this, the rest of this slate? Because it looks like you said, you know, the rest of the NFC East, you know, walked away with three wins. And now the Cowboys have the Bengals, Giants, Commanders, at the Rams, at the Eagles, at the Lions. If Dak's out six to eight weeks, he's coming back for either Bears or Packers or Vikings, one of the three. It's kind of in that window. But, like, I don't know. Do you see the do you see the Cowboys staying afloat until then, or do you think this is – are you ready to phone it in now? Um, I don't think they're toast, Kale, but I'm going to plug in the toaster. And I'm going to really give it a, a good look week to week because, uh, for one, I did just get done talking about the commanders and giants being maybe a little bit better than we expected. Still, if you factor in our DAVE stat, which mostly counts last year's DVOA, but does weight week one about 7%, Washington and the Giants are still number 30 and 32, respectively. So we don't think that there's still a whole lot of football talent there. So even with Cooper Rush, I would say they're kind of right in it uh, in terms of that specific matchup. And the Lions, too. We are huge Lions guys. We love what they bring to the table. But at the same time, that team can be beaten by anyone and anything. Uh, They're supposed to be favorites against the Commanders this week if Lions don't move. And that would be the first time in 24 weeks that he uh, the Lions are favorites. So I don't know. I'm... Not optimistic, but I am just saying the schedule works out. If if things go right, you could win those three games and be close to 500 when Dak comes back. Yeah. Now, one team that does have some optimism around them compared to where they stood Sunday is Pittsburgh Steelers. Things looked a little scary on Sunday for them. TJ Watt goes down. Cameras on the sideline catch him mouthing. I tore my peck. I tore my peck. Not a full tear, as it turns out. Watt was able to get second and third opinions on his diagnosis. He's going to avoid surgery for the fully torn pec, but a partial tear is going to leave him out at least six weeks. I ask you the same question, Jackson. That Steelers defense got vaunt, or that performance by the Steelers defense gave him the fourth best finish after one week by VOA, and it bumped him into our top 10 in our first official. Football Outsiders DVOA rankings with film on, you know. We're not just going off preseason predictions anymore. We got some tape now. Now I pose the same question to you. Can the Steelers' defense stay afloat without Watt? I mean, maybe afloat, but I don't think afloat is good enough for the Steelers' defense. I think this defense has to be kind of the driving force behind them winning games. We saw in the second half, Mitchell Trubisky, unable to spark a drive of over 17 yards in the second half of that game. So I don't know. I I think that at the end of the day, TJ Watt is a massive loss. I'm glad that he's not missing the whole season. He's a joy to watch. I think landing on the Patriots with a questionable Mac Jones at this time is, is a good opportunity for them to kind of mind trick their way to two and O but this team, TJ Watt's been such a staple for this team, Kale. He's, his NFL career, the Steelers have had 82 games since his rookie season. He's played in 78. He's been pretty durable. This is going to be the first time he's missed an extended stretch of football. And every time he hasn't played in the past, this team's gotten way worse. They give up, on average, they're 0-4 in the games he hasn't played. And they've given up an average of 28 points. So I don't, I don't like their chances, I've got to be honest. Yeah, the thing for me is just Watt's such a force multiplier. His presence commands so much attention. Uh, you know, finished Sunday's game, six solo tackles, a sack, three tackles for loss, I believe four QB hits. Also had two pass deflections and an interception uh, that he pretty much caught with just all of his body coming in. Uh, pretty impressive athletic feat there, but – the attention he commands, he makes it look so easy. 
just in a two-point stance, like sitting on the edge and like a wide nine. You know, he opens up so much, whether it's for, you know, it, the tension that gets commanded for away from him goes to a Hayward or a Miles Jack or an Alex Highsmith. He brings so much to this Steelers front seven that I do have questions as to how potent they'll be because now you can, you know, a lot of very good players on this team, but having someone with Watts caliber is just completely shifts the scale. And he's the depoy, but he's also the leader. You know, you talk about all the stats you want. Yeah, he's top 10 in pass rush win rate. He's number one in sacks from last season. But he's also just the emotional leader of that defense. He's got a special makeup. He's he's the guy that everyone looks to in the huddle. So, you know, there's still lots of veterans on that defense. Devin Bush, I think another guy we should mention, still very talented athlete that can do some things for them. But it's got to be tough losing a guy like that for not just a week or two, but an extended absence where you just can't look to him to depend on him to be able to, you know, win you a one-on-one battle when he finally gets one and, and create some momentum for that defense. Yeah. And if we're doing more schedule talk again about times where Watt can return, even if we call six weeks, the low end of that spectrum, because it, it's probably, you know, between six and eight, their schedule is a lot more promising, in my opinion, than the Cowboys and Dax case. Uh, hosting the Patriots at the Browns versus the Jets. Big, tough stretch of at the Bills, then hosting the Buccaneers. But then their last two games is at Dolphins, at Eagles, before their bye, where they host the Saints. It's It's a lot more tolerable here for me because, you know, Maybe you chalk up the two losses to the Bills and Bucks, but all of a sudden you've got, you know, Patriots, Browns, Jets, Dolphins. These are winnable games here. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be too big an issue here. I think he makes a decent comeback. I, I, it's a shame that we're losing him this early because he really opened up his, you know, his depoy title defense right where he left off. Yeah, I mean, their schedule does get a little bit – dicier in the back half of the season so even when you do get him back I I don't know if being around 500 is going to be enough when you play you know revenge game against Cincinnati you play New Orleans you play Baltimore twice and then you finish out the season with Cleveland with Deshaun Watson ostensibly back in the fold so there's you know it's the AFC is so good this year too Kale you know it's not like I think you're going to be able to sneak into the playoffs at nine and eight eight and nine it's it's really going to take for the Steelers to kind of put some wins together here without Watt and build that momentum for when he comes back. Yeah, absolutely. Updating up to Monday Night Football. Jamal Adams might be done for the year after a quad tear during the Monday Night Football game. Only played 13 snaps, I believe, for the Seahawks in their pretty impressive win over the Denver Broncos. He goes down. Looks like it's a quad tear. Now, Jamal Adams, not as, you know, kind of been memed out of his actual production, if that makes sense, where, I mean, last year among D-backs, finished pretty strongly. Still finished seventh among safeties in yards per pass allowed and 16th in success rate allowed, while maintaining top five status while defending the run. Jackson, how big a loss is this Jamal Adams uh, loss after a pretty promising first game showing out of the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I want caution there because I still think the Seahawks are going to be quite bad, and I don't think that's all that dependent on whether or not Jamal Adams is there. Very fun win for them against a more talented, uh, you know, Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos team in Week One, and obviously forcing those turnovers at the goal line. Great stuff. But at the same time, there's a little bit of an element of luck involved there. And I think that at the same, like, you know, there's going to be more tape on Geno Smith moving forward. We'll see if he really is, you know, kind of this second coming, uh, you know, nine-year veteran all of a sudden becoming, you know, the player he always promised himself to be. But I don't know. Jamal Adams is the kind of guy where 
you know, he brings a lot to a locker room. He's been a three-time All-Pro, so there's just kind of a level of stability that comes with that where guys look across the room and say this guy's been, you know, at the top of the game. He actually hasn't recorded a sack since December uh, week 16 of 2020. So, you know, kind of the blitz boy moniker that's been drawn up for him. I don't know if he is, you know, truly blitz boy anymore. Um, I think people were pointing to some film where he dropped an interception this week. It really just kind of hit him in the helmet as he was diving for it. You know, he's a competent D-back. And I think that at the end of the day, this team isn't necessarily going anywhere anyway but it does hurt to lose him. But also Shelby Harris said after the game, you know, maybe they can kind of spin this in a positive way and do this for him as opposed to just feeling the loss all the time. Yeah, that is honestly one of the bigger takeaways from me just because, listen, they're at the top of the NFC West. We'll give them credit for that. They are. But I don't, you know, I, I don't think anyone's writing them up as Super Bowl favorites right now or even, you know, playoff contenders, obviously not. But there is something like, you know, Monday was a real feel-good night for the Seattle Seahawks and all their fans. But I think the loss of this, what really stands out to me is just how much the Seahawks have seemed to really enjoy Adams' presence. Uh, Pete Carroll went on uh, Seattle Sports 7, 10 a.m. Uh, on Tuesday after the game. Uh, I had this to say about Adams. The fact he's such a heartthrob about the game of football. He loves playing, and he just can't deal with right now about, quote, how could this keep happening? It was good to have uh, – it was good he had him with his mom and dad in the locker room really during the game when he was in there to kind of help him through it and all that, but it was really tough. So I hope everybody sends the love to him. That's – I mean, that's pretty hard one to say, you know, leader in the locker room, say what you want about his presence, say what you want about the process of trading two first rounds for him, you know. Good story out of there in Seattle. Just, you know, I, I do like that takeaway of, you know, maybe the Seattle, like maybe the Seahawks do rally around Adams. You know, we've got Josh Jones filling in, replaced him for the rest of last night's game. They also have Ryan Neal on the roster. But, you know, maybe replacement level guys like that do step up and do perform well for him. It'd be nice to see. Seattle's just a really heartwarming story right now through one week. <laughs> it is really a one week thing. I think this was, I, you, you might almost get them to acknowledge that this was their Super Bowl, Kale. You know, they go 5-12 and 12 this year, but they beat Russ in Russ's homecoming. I think a lot of Seahawks fans would take that. I think a lot of Seahawks fans, honestly, would take 1-16 in 16 if, the, if it includes a Mariners deep playoff run this year. So we'll see if they can make that trade with the sports gods. I will, I will say a lot of, you know, a lot of people will joke week one, like, oh, congrats, you won your Super Bowl. I think the Seahawks are very okay admitting that this might have been their Super Bowl. That's fine. Yeah. I'll take it. Kicker news in this yes. week as we make the pivot. Colts cut Rodrigo Blankenship in a series of roster shuffling moves. Uh, they'll be bringing in Lucas Haversick and Chase McLaughlin. The cut comes after... Blankenship missed a potential game-winning field goal. Uh, Blankenship, just 25 years old, drafted in 2020, been a part of the Colts for two years. He connected on 30 of his first 33 field goals. You gotta gotta feel a little little uncertain about where the Colts are. Not only after the Sunday tie to the Houston Texans, but if we're getting some shuffling in this early. This is a this is a team that a lot of people. Uh, and football outsiders have and beyond have topped uh, or tapped as the AFC South division winners, potentially. It's early and it's, you know, it's a kicker, but where does cutting Blankenship leave you at this Colts team? I think what it really shows you is that there aren't 32 really good NFL quality kickers. There are maybe guys who are good enough to be kind of at the Blankenship level where they make, you know, his career level was 84% makes. The NFL has raised the standard so much for kicker play that that's just simply not good enough. And granted, there aren't 32 guys that are good enough, but I think in order to kind of be that championship caliber team, just go back through the years, when's the last championship level team that didn't at least have, you know, a top half of the league kicker? I think you'd be looking for a while. So, I mean, those Patriots teams, they went from having 
Adam Minateri, who is considered maybe the greatest kicker of all time, to Steven Guskowski, who was the most accurate kicker of all time until Justin Tucker came along. So I, I really think that position as, you know, as deep as it is at the college ranks, as many guys as there are week in, week out that get brought in for these workouts, you know, Haversick was 34 of 53 at Arizona. You know, has he somehow figured out the magic formula in his time since college to become, you know, a 90 to 95% converter with the narrower posts? I don't know. A lot of open spots. Bring up Haversick, Chase McLaughlin has had, you know, has had, Three years of NFL experience, but admittedly has played for six different teams in that time span. <laughs> Career field goal record of uh, 37 for 49, looks like, at 75.5% make rate, 67 to 69 on extra points. Blankenship beats him out percentage-wise, 83.3% career field goal make. Has missed three extra points, though. Is it is it an overreaction to say that the Colts cutting their kicker, missing one game winner, might be an overreaction? It's possible. I don't believe it's only been one game winner, if memory serves. Blankenship, he's always had a lot of, you know, he's racked up a lot of makes. The Colts have been a team throughout the past three seasons that have kicked a lot of field goals. And I, I believe he even challenged the rookie points record, if I'm not mistaken. But he's never been, you know, consistent outside of that 40-yard range. That's been kind of the big knock. So I don't necessarily fault them for wanting to go a different direction and just try something new. But I do think that the stability at the kicker position is maybe not underrated. But I think every every fan of a football team knows that feeling when a kicker goes out on the field and you just don't trust him. And that's a terrible feeling. Chicago Bears fans have had that feeling for a decade at this point, and it's it's not fun. So I think the Colts had that with Blankenship for the past year and a half or so, and it was enough to be like, hey, let's just try something different and see if it works out. Yeah, we're not quite at uh, Tyler Ninja Blevins' status, who's once famously tweeted, oh, you've never seen this? Ninja from the Fortnite guy tweeted, I'll never understand how college and NFL football teams allow kickers that just miss kicks. I feel like there has to be pools of kickers in the USA that won't miss simple kicks or snappers that won't mess the snaps. I I don't know what, man. It seems so silly. Would love opinions on this. Uh, Apparently we're in the other camp and believe there are not 32 kickers. Yeah. Have you, have you tried kicking a football before? It's really difficult. (laughs) And the, the sort of hip flexibility it takes, you know, there's not a lot of guys out there who are just sitting around eating potato chips on a Sunday afternoon who can suddenly get out there, move their hip at 180 degree angle and kick the ball 50 yards between narrow uprights. I don't know. In the words of Tyler Ninja Blevins again, a kicker's job is literally to kick. Horrible analogy, kind of embarrassing. Yeah. You, you, uh, to, to bring it back to another thing, you ever see the old Katie Nolan bit where she takes people who tweeted about how terrible their kickers are for missing a certain kick and then just brings them out and has them attempt that length of kick? That's what I feel like we need more of in this world. We need more people understanding how hard the kicker's job really is, even though it does look simple in that it is very – one-dimensional it's a very difficult dimension to master just an immediate comeuppance we do need more of that in field news cleveland browns are now bringing brownie the elf to their center field logo a uh a revamped logo bit of a uh you know one win in an off season of ten thousand l's uh <laughs> for the cleveland browns uh, you know, you need one kind of good PR win to re-engage in the old Brownie the Elf logo. Uh, got the video playing here. Now, don't want to talk much about the Browns or Brownie the Elf. Did want to ask you, Jackson, in a, in a rapid-fire question. If you had one old-school logo that could be brought back or have a an NFL team sort of, you know, either re-engage with or reimagine, which are you going with? Well, I think – For both of us, sort of the correct answer, as, you know, I see the Patriots helmet behind you, I happen to have in the far background behind me this Pat the Patriot logo. Uh, I think Pat the Patriot belongs in center field at Gillette Stadium for sure. 
But if I could cheat a little bit and I brought some props with me as well, Kale, if we could somehow get a team back on the fields wearing this, this Houston Oilers logo, that would be gorgeous at the middle, at the 50 yard line. And I would love to see that incorporated somehow as well. I don't, I don't hate the, uh, I don't hate the Oilers. I, maybe it was, maybe it was just seeing Ross in the uniform last night or on Monday night. I do hope that the Broncos bring back that, that D with the, you know, horse blowing steam out of his nose. That is a, that is a really strong one. I also am a big fan of just the literal Jets logo where they have the plane incorporated. I mean, I, there, there's a lot of good options. We don't have enough like people in football. I, I think the go-to is also just, you know, the Buccaneers Buccaneer, which will be brought back when they bring back the creamsicles. Wouldn't mind seeing that take some sort of permanent status in Tampa Bay. I agree. And let's have more teams using, you know, kind of week to week alternate logos at the 50 yard line as well. You know, I hate when teams will go with just the generic NFL shield at midfields. I guess you have to at MetLife Stadium because well, you're swapping out teams yeah. every week. But, you know, let's let's get some variety in there. We've got graphic design experts. We've got people who are wizards with the spray paint. You know, let's start mixing it up more. All right. Well, that's enough about logos from us. Now it's time to go back. I like field news. Field news can be a new uh, weekly segment if we can find more. We might have to expand larger to just stadium-wide news, but we'll get there. Now we're going to the injury roundup. Kick it off in Tampa Bay, the aforementioned Buccaneers. Got two injuries circling back on this week. Donovan Smith exited Sunday Night Football's game, their their left tackle, with a hyperextended right elbow. Currently his availability – Dictated solely by pain tolerance. You know, probably getting some tramadol injections. We'll see how he sort of fares with that. Status doesn't seem to be impeded for this week. Chris Godwin, on the other hand, his hamstring injury that he exited with is, quote, as serious as we thought it was. No status, but it seems like he is pretty much out for at least week two. We'll see where they go from there. How's this going to shake out for Tampa Bay, Jackson? I am... I'm getting worried about their offensive line. Yeah, well, props to them for finishing in the top five in offensive line adjusted yards for week one. That's a great uh, football outsiders metric we can go back to. Donovan Smith, you know, kind of stepping up into that left tackle role. There's, you know, so much movement on that offensive line throughout the offseason. We talked about how they just stole Shaq Mason from New England, just ripped him right out of the clutches for absolutely nothing. But you know, losing like an Ali Marpet, you know, there's and you know, injury to Ryan Jensen during the preseason. That's that's a lot to deal with. You don't want to be juggling your line too much. So really hope Smith is able to stay healthy, stay on the field, take the pain. Um, you know, it's it's far be it from me who never played it down to football to ask people to just take the pain on an NFL football field. But I think the Buccaneers, it's to their benefit, obviously, if he can. Godwin's a concern, though. You know, there's it matters to have a good number two behind Mike Evans liked what I saw out of Julio Jones in week one, but you don't want to count on somebody who's, you know, been around the block to one too many times necessarily to kind of carry your offense in the number two role for long-term. So, you know, the bucks can hopefully piece it together for a few weeks here. I still like them a lot. They have, you know, the ageless wonder Tom Brady just guiding the ship and, it's it's a, it's going to be a good team all season long. I don't think we debate that, but you know, there's there's a lot of moving pieces with that offense that we'd like to see, you know, kind of stay in place to retain that stability and, and make sure the Bucks are kind of a viable contender throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad they avoided any major miss miss time with Donovan Smith. Uh, this is going to be something that's lingering, obviously, but it's good that you at least have your left tackle in place. It's filled in by Josh Wells on Sunday night. Godwin, I get. I, I, I understand why, obviously, why you want Chris Godwin on the field. That being said, very surprised with how Julio played on Sunday night. Looking spry out there. And in addition, bring it like it's why you bring in Russell Gage. They learned the lessons of last regular season. That team is basically derailed by, you know, AWOL Antonio Brown and then the Chris Godwin ACL tear. Getting these guys, like, 
getting something out of Julio Jones, getting Russell Gage is, you know, partly a depth ad, partly a rejuvenation ad to have, you know, a bona fide second option behind Chris Godwin. I, 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 you know, it's a loss, but I'm not too concerned because I'm impressed with who, like, I'm impressed with what I saw out of who they have behind. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, this Bucks team and Brady historically throughout his career has been great at taking, you know, those second tier weapons and turning them into something of value. You know, the Bucks have a pretty tough schedule coming up here. I'm not going to lie to you. That's, you know, the, the one reason that you would love to have Godwin back is you play the Saints, a team that's tormented the Bucks, apart from the one playoff game with, uh, you know, Drew Brees' arm falling off. Then you have the Packers. Then you have the Chiefs. So you don't want to be, you know, getting into that two and two, you know, even things go to absolute worst <laughs> one three range when you have, you know, a, a Saints team that appears to be a pretty decent contender for them in that NFC South. So love to get Godwin back, but I think you you trust in Brady and that doesn't let you down very much. You know, for all the concern, you know, quote unquote, about how they looked in game one, they still you know, rolled over that Dallas team that made the playoffs last year. Yeah, definitely. It's I, I'm not I'm not too concerned yet. We'll see how they fare. There's going to be some stiff competition, but, you know, I like what they got in the house right now. That's all I'll say. Moving on to New England. Patriots have officially placed running back Ty Montgomery on the injured reserve. Montgomery finished with just two carries for negative two yards for the Patriots. However, was heavily involved in the passing game, finished tied for third in total targets among the team. Uh, Three receptions for 15 yards and a touchdown had new england's only score of the afternoon jackson how do you see this new england team supplementing whatever involvement from the running backs in the receiving game that they have because now james white's retired their offseason addition of ty montgomery is out damian harris has never really been a passing back ramondre stevenson has tried to get involved but finished Two targets, two receptions, two yards with a longest of five, which means he got blown up on one play pretty badly. Where are you at with this? And just maybe the New England offense in general. <laughs> um, where I'm at with the New England offense is not a great place, to be completely honest. There was uh, a very promising start to that game that was derailed by the jump ball between Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker, and things just went south from there. None of the receivers particularly looked great. You know, you had the one nice Kendrick Bourne catch down the sideline. Jacoby Myers got involved a bit. But in general, I think this strategy of trying to kind of build a, a sum of the parts greater than the whole receiving core is, uh, is looking a little sketch right now. And then obviously the running back room, Damian Harris, solid. Ramondre Stevenson, like him as a change of pace. I didn't want to be depending on Ty Montgomery if I'm the Patriots, but um, you know, you knew, you do need that receiving option. I don't know if you're going to get it out of Pierre strong. We don't have, you know, quality NFL tape on him yet. So we'll see if he can get involved at all. But yeah, I mean, I think the, the issues for this Patriots offense go a lot deeper than just the running back position. And, and especially at Ty Montgomery, who's been, you know, a journeyman at best throughout his career. Uh, it really is not, I'm not very optimistic about the Patriots offense right now. And nor am I optimistic about the defense that can't arm tackle. So um, I'm not, not riding high on, on Pat's fever after week one, to say the least. Patriots finished 28th in offensive unadjusted total VOA. That's a finish in 30th in the passing VOA and 14th in rushing VOA. And if I share any, uh, Anything, any thoughts with Jackson? It's that I don't trust a uh, defensive coordinator turned offensive line coach and a special teams coordinator turned quarterbacks coach to figure out anything creatively for this Patriots offense. Moving on. Well, Mac Jones, is Mac Jones okay too, Kale? I mean, this is this is another thing, you know. I think he's going to play from what we know, but you don't want your second-year quarterback to be – you know, potentially hamstrung, and I say hamstrung, but it's his back that's the concern. Yeah, so he was – he's apparently feeling better. Uh, it was 
downgraded from a back injury to back spasms. Uh, apparently said, uh, my back hurt. We were trying to figure out what the issue was. They did all the tests and everything was fine. A uh, little nebulous for my liking, but vote of confidence. Uh, you know, say what you want about Mac Jones' this week one performance. Uh, if he goes down, the whole ship goes down. So yeah. we'll see. And back we spasms may be not enough to miss a game in the NFL, but, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, if, if J.D. Martinez gets back spasms, he misses three games. They get him right. So just because football is played, you know, week to week and guys gut it out more doesn't necessarily mean that this is nothing to worry about. You know, this is the type of thing that can absolutely affect performance, can absolutely linger throughout the season. And again, if Mac Jones goes down or is ineffective, the entire Patriots season is derailed. Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a hole in the ship's bow. It's, you know, you're going to take on water quickly there. Moving on to San Francisco. Another running back room situation. Elijah Mitchell placed on IR, set to miss two months with a sprained ACL, put his right leg in an air cast, leaving the stadium. His fill-in is Jeff Wilson, looking to take the starting job there. Uh, behind him, undrafted free agent Jordan Mason and Tyrion Davis, Price, Davis Price are fighting for the backup spot. Uh, Mason and Davis Price were originally in a camp battle uh, for that third spot. Mason ended up winning. Tyrion Davis-Price was a healthy scratch headed to Chicago on Sunday. How big of a loss is Mitchell going down? And is it more in the running back or the offensive line? Because that was a mutter of a game. And I think I'm ready to chalk some of the running struggles of San Francisco up to this line. Yeah, not just that. I, I think you do want to see them play a game where the ground is ground and not pond. You know, um, it, it was definitely the type of game where you hate to lose, but also you can you can kind of throw out the tape. You know, if I'm running PR for, you know, Trey Lance after week one, I'm saying, how can you possibly look at that game and draw any strong conclusions? So the running back room being what it is, you know, also shout out six-year veteran Marlon Mack getting signed to the 49ers practice squad this week. Uh, we love when when guys get jobs, even if that doesn't necessarily lead to them seeing the field. But, yeah, I mean, you don't want to lose that game if you're San Francisco. Um, so there's it's, it's bad to start the season off on the wrong foot, and it's worse if you're losing a key contributor in any offensive position. But, you know. There's, there's talent in that running back room skill, and nobody gets more out of multiple running backs than Kyle Shanahan over the past few years. So I think you, you let Jeff Wilson ride a little bit. You give both Mason and Price some, or Davis Price some opportunities and see what kind of clicks these next few weeks. I, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet on this 49er season. No, certainly not. Niners finished 14th in Justin Lanyard's first week out. Uh, also finished ninth in power success and third lowest stuff rate among offensive lines this past week. So decent performance, but if you look at the tape, I, you know maybe I'll chalk it up to the field, but it's not as you know beyond Trent Williams, just not as clean as it's been in recent years. I don't, you know, again, I I don't. It, it the last night's game remind or uh, last week's game. Week one reminded me of just, you know, the adverse conditions of, you know, the Bills Patriots Monday night football game with the 50 mile an hour wins. The like sometimes weather games happen and you can just chalk it up to that. And it's just an anomaly of the season. The Bills went back a few weeks later and pummeled the Patriots, did it again in the playoffs right before that Kansas City game. It's sometimes, you know, weather can dictate a lot and We'll see where it goes, but I'm more I'm more curious as to you know. You look at Raheem Mostert last year in San Francisco. This is the first time a 49ers back's gone down for an extended period and outright lost his job uh, to the backup competition. So we'll see how things shake out in San Francisco. I don't know. Yeah, 
there's, you know, you like to see a backfield with guys who can give you a lot of different things. So even if Jeff Wilson kind of steps in and wins that starter role, I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan's just, you know, going into his playbook, going into everything he learned about Davis Price and Mason during the uh, the preseason to see what he can draw to start befuddling defenses again once his team starts playing on grass and AstroTurf again. I do want to remind you, Wilson's got a bit of an injury history. Uh, he's got some decent missed time between you know, as recently as last year, uh, partially to a meniscus during weightlifting in May. Uh, then December ends up with a grain one knee strain. And then in January, during the 49ers playoff run, diagnosed with a pedal ankle sprain. Uh, just some just some ticky-tack stuff, so you've got to watch out for that Mason, Tyrion, Price camp, uh, you know. Those, I guess, practice battles at this point are out of camp, but you know, it's a it's a revolving door for the 49ers running back room right yeah. now. So we'll and this is do. based on nothing but pure speculation from people I follow that are Niners fans and sort of tapped into the Niners, you know, beat report scene. Apparently, there's there's optimism on Davis Price. Apparently, people are thinking that, you know, let's say that you're trying to, you know, build a, a fantasy dynasty this year. Or maybe you're you're thinking about ways you can uh, pick somebody up off the waiver wire who's not going to cost you much. Give Davis Price a shot. We'll see. Honestly, not a bad call. We'll see. Now, moving on to our Thursday night football preview, slate of news sort of thing. Chiefs dealing with a couple different injuries right now. First off, Harrison Bucker exits Sunday's game a little early with a left ankle injury. It was a DNP on Tuesday. Currently have Matt Amanda Lara in as the kicker on the practice squad. Also, Trent McDuffie, rookie cornerback, placed on IR. Chiefs head coach Andy Reid is pinning a little bit of this on Arizona. He's blaming the loose turf for the injuries to both McDuffie and Butker. Uh, the grass was resodded in Arizona after training camp. But Reed in press conference said it was a little loose. That's what happens when you resod. It's part of the Butker injury and the McDuffie injury, and that's unfortunate. Turf picked up, and I would tell you that it did have something to do with it. If it didn't, I'd tell you that too. It's not an excuse by any means, but you see it when you watch the tape. <sighs> I, not too big an in, like, not too big an issue, but got a lot of field issues in week one. Speaking of field news, for real, and I think that uh, if you're the Arizona Cardinals right now, you just got boat raced by the Chiefs. They came into your house, absolutely destroyed you, and then said your field sucks. That's that's a tough week one right there. There's not much. Uh, I, I think the they were the second worst team in week one in terms of post-game win expectancy behind only the LA Rams who were also boat raced by the Bills. So there's there's a lot not to like over in Arizona. But if we go back to the KC side of this, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Bucker will be out long. You know, ankle sprains are something people deal with. They move on. Uh, he might miss this week. It is a very quick turnaround. I feel like, you know, this is just based on speculation regarding the tone people are you know seeming to take with his injury but I, I feel like he would play if this game was Sunday but this game being Thursday is kind of what brings that into doubt for me uh and and I certainly think that what going back to our previous discussion Butker is in that you know 90% tier of very quality NFL kickers and I don't previous history on a Mendelara would not dictate that he is so maybe for one game it's possible that this could make a difference. But other than that, not as concerned. Um, Trent McDuffie, you want your first-round rookies on the field. That is a concern. And if you're going to blame it on the loose turf in Arizona, then let's get some better turf out there. Just wanted to add that State Farm Stadium, where the Cardinals play, is maintained by a group called ASM Global. They manage six other NFL stadiums. Can you guess one of them? FedEx Field. Soldier. Soldier Field, yeah. Soldier. Soldier Field. So, in addition to the Flooding Bears Stadium, you also now have the loose turf in Arizona. Now, let's not count on Justin Reed on those kickoffs, by the way, because he booted a uh, he booted one. Good stuff. Pretty impressive showing. I love uh, I love a safety who comes in to kick. That's that's a great 
NFL first few weeks of the season subplot that always seems to somehow come around. Usually the team seems to win too, which is the really funny part. Like when the Cowboys smoked the 49ers a few years ago uh, with their third string safety, just booting extra points, clanking them in off the uprights, whole team's going crazy. You know, that's the kind of stuff you like to see early in the season. That's the kind of positional versatility you're looking for. One more injury update out of Kansas City. Pat Mahomes. Injury to his non-throwing wrist. Uh, He had some wrap on it during the game. Uh, Seemed to play fine with it. A little bit of shake off here and there, but in press conferences, uh, had addressed it. Says he felt good, was a little sore on Monday, but felt much better the day after. Anything to be concerned about here, Jackson? You think it's just fine? Well, maybe they won't be able to throw left-hand shovel passes at the goal line this week. But no, I, I don't find there to be. Yeah, much if there was if there was any quarterback this would affect, <laughs> it's Mahomes just because of the But I also wouldn't be surprised if he just throws a thirty yarder with his sprained left wrist, and then you know maybe it hurts more afterwards. But he's Pat Mahomes, so he can. There's nothing I don't believe he's incapable of. Headed over to the Chargers right now. We got two injuries we're keying in on for Thursday night. J.C. Jackson might be playing for a. Sorry, so the box coming in the chat. Uh, <laughs> J.C. Jackson might be playing Thursday night after getting surgery on his foot in the offseason. Uh, Staley said he's improving. He was limited in practice on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, but he might be returning after getting some non-invasive surgery done on his foot. Keenan Allen is looking to be doubtful for Thursday night's game with a hamstring injury exited early against the Raiders. Uh, he's going to apparently take some time, according to Staley. Uh, how do you think that affects him going forward on Sunday, Jack, or on Thursday? On Thursday. Uh, yeah, well, I think that if, if J.C. Jackson is in practice after not playing last week, you know, regardless of it being in a limited role, I think that's a good sign. Um, this team is obviously going to have to step up big time in, in a defensive manner against the team – that put up 44 points in week one. So good to have him looking to be potentially available. You know, not going to say anything definitive, but that seems to be good news there. Keenan Allen, you don't want to be missing this game. You know, every time Herbert and Mahomes get together, you know, I the last three times these two teams have played, it's come down to a game-winning score in either the final minute of regulation or overtime. So, I I somehow don't feel like missing weapons on either side is going to impact this being a very, very fun back and forth football game, but it's hard not to acknowledge that Keenan Allen is wide receiver one in that building and is going to be missed if he misses time. Uh, You know, you look for Joshua Palmer to step up. Um, He only had five yards on three catches last week. So, you know, you hope to get some more downfield production out of him. Yeah, Mike Uh, Williams, another guy missing in there. I was going to say I was going to say one thing I was impressed with from the Chargers last week was just their willingness to spread it out once Keenan left. Keenan finished with, you know, finished leading the team 66 yards on four receptions, one of those being 42-yard reception that Allen had. But we'll say 11 different guys had catches for L.A. on Sunday. Seven-way tie for the target lead of four. Uh, that's to – do I want to go through all the names right now? No. But <laughs> we can save it. Imp- like impressive willingness to spread it around, especially not to the guys, you know, like a Mike Williams or a Josh Palmer who you, you kind of thought would be getting the ball. For sure. And that's not even that's not even to mention another target in that room, Donald Parham, who misses week one. And people will think back to last season and think about the very scary, uh, you know, head and neck area injury that happened to Parham. He missed week one, not with that injury, but with a hamstring injury. That's also making him very questionable for week two. So this is a Chargers that, you know, they've got. 12, maybe 13 guys who can catch passes. And if they get all of them healthy, who knows who's getting on the field. But can't be a bad thing to just have an absolutely stacked weaponry for one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, seriously. And that, I think that's all we got. That'll do it for another 
I, I mean, I think so. I don't think we got anything else unless we do want to talk about uh, one Khalil Mack for the LA Chargers, who, after a three sack performance, <laughs> said that it uh, wasn't quite enough. Uh, didn't live up to his standards, apparently. Uh, let me see if I can pull up that quote right now. Yeah, what said, does enough look like if three sacks is not it? I asked that was you. the question I was going to pose to you because led the like tied for the lead in sacks uh, among the Chargers, tied for tackle for loss, quarterback hits. What does enough look like? Because to Mac, he said. I left a lot of stuff out there and I have to get it corrected. Wow. Um, Well, I suppose he could be thinking in terms of a 2015 JJ Watt performance. We could put Khalil Mack at tight end and see what he's got. Uh, But yeah, if you're on a 51 sack pace, I think you just want to keep doing what you're doing. Um, And I think that, I think that it's going to be fun to watch Mac and Bosa get after Mahomes this week, because not only was Mahomes not sacked in week one, he really, you know, it it seemed like he wasn't even bothered, seemed like he could have just kind of thrown a picnic back there. So it's going to be an interesting matchup to watch this week. And if you're going to think about some bets potentially for this week, underdog fantasy check them out um this was not an not one that i found on underdog fantasy but uh there are some good mahomes rushing yards props out there this week uh so maybe go go on underdog fantasy look what that line is and take the over because pat mahomes is going to be streaking downfield getting away from the pressure one thing i did want to add about mac uh this is from nsl.com mac in his debut was only the fifth non-rookie to have three plus sacks in a debut with a new team uh, since 1982, at least. That includes Calais Campbell, Vonnie Holiday, Chad Bratsky, and Gary Burley. So, mm. rare company, and Max still says it wasn't enough. It's not enough, Kill. He needs to be not just sacking quarterbacks. He needs to be picking them up, carrying them 10 yards back, and having it marked as forward progress. Well, I think that's enough for us today. (laughs) We're excited to watch this game Thursday. But until next Wednesday, same time, same place, 1 p.m., this is Jackson Roberts. I'm Kale Clinton. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for joining us today.